have a new sponsor this week. We do. Uh, it's Earthbound Frozen Body Towing and Storage. Have you ever had a body in an awkward position that you just couldn't get rid of? We'll just give Earthbound Towing a call and they'll tow it away and store it, no questions asked. Earthbound Towing. Thank you, Earthbound Towing. I have no bad things to say about the sponsor this week. Yeah, I think I used them it's like last month. No, it was it was last year. Yeah, they do a good job. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what they do with the bodies. <laughs> Store them, I guess. Shameful plugs. So I have a show, Bad Eyesight. I don't know if this is gonna air before then, but January thirty first at nineteen eighty four. Uh, not sure who else is on the bill. And then Thursday, March fifth at nineteen eighty four. Also don't know who else is on the bill. And that, if you hear that sound, it's, it's a dog licking someone. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. A dog is licking me. <laughs> I mean, maybe you don't that hear it. That sounds so much <laughs> more wrong, right, <laughs> than what it actually is. Uh, <laughs> it was gross if you couldn't see what was actually happening. <clears throat> so I guess this is a shameful plug. Um, a few months ago... Uh, a friend of mine worked on a movie and asked me to do music for it and I decided why not just do it as like a blue and gray doing music together like as a group so we um <clears throat> he sent us a rough cut of it and we uh threw some it was a horror movie obviously we did it not obviously but it was a horror movie <laughs> and we and we did some music to it and that is what you heard in the intro uh is what we came up with uh, we sent that to him and he was like uh, I really like it, <laughs> but it's gonna be a comedy, so it need, it's like, it can't be quite so intense. So we're gonna rework all the music and everything. That was just a test run anyway, and hopefully that finished project will be out sometime this year. It's gonna be called Happy Anniversary. I really like doing it though. Although it, I think it ended up turning out kind of like a, a blend between uh, Stranger Things, right? And Mandalorian, Mandalorian, yeah, <laughs> and John Carpenter, yeah, like it was John Carpenter. Uh, but they really liked it. You know, the the writer and director said that he really liked it, and he was going to do some other really short horror, like a short horror anthology with like just like five minute, a bunch of five minute films, and he wanted he wanted to use the music for that. And the the editor uh, said that it was something he would listen to, so. Well, you heard it, so it, it turned out pretty well. Uh, so hopefully the final product, which is going to have a little bit of a sense of humor to it, which I'm a little nervous about, uh, <laughs> uh, will turn out fine, and we'll probably use some of that music going forward. Yeah. Okay, so I'm sick. I've been sick for like a week and a half. It sucks. I think it's the coronavirus. doesn't seem to be going away, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hoping Usually, like, after the one-week point, you're feeling better or you're seeing the end of it. And it's been, like, a week and a half. And I, I feel like me saying that I feel better or I'm getting, I'm feeling better than I did, a lot of that is kind of wishful thinking. I'm still feeling run down. You can probably hear it in my voice. It's all croaky. But we're doing this anyways. Yeah, and you're probably going to give it to me now. Yep. You're going to be sick. Oh, well, that's all right. This one was not a good... A good sickness. Like, it wasn't an easy one. I had to take off work a couple of days. Wow. But I haven't been that sick in a while. Yeah. 
Hopefully it's not the coronavirus, by the way. But, <coughs> but anyway, from... <coughs> Jesus. Sorry. The, just to be clear, though, the coronavirus isn't something that you get and it just kills you. It's like you have... To, it's just like the regular flu. It's only a right. little, little stronger. So unless you're old, already sick, or immunocompromised, you're probably going to be fine. But if it does kill you, it does so by basically drowning you in your own phlegm, right? Kind of like pneumonia style. Yeah, I mean, that's any kind of flu that gets really bad, so. Right. Scare tactics. Okay. At least it's not Ebola. Yeah. Uh, I don't know much about that, but I did read about the coronavirus. Because somebody posted that it was patented in, like, Seattle, Washington. The coronavirus was. (laughs) And she kept on posting it on Facebook. And I was like, what is she talking about? So I read... And the patent actually is for the detection of it. Like someone patented how to detect the coronavirus. And in doing that, they kind of had to patent whatever the amino protein chain the virus is. So it looks like when you just look at the title of the patent, that they patent a virus, <laughs> right? That they're like, somebody created a virus. And it's like, no. And when you read, <coughs> when you read it, it's actually just, you know, the ways of detecting it. And I was like, stop spreading this around. Like, everyone thinks that, like, it's a U.S.-made virus that we sent to Japan. It's like, like, misinformation. That is the age of misinformation. That's where we are. Yeah. All right, what else we got on the list? Oh, so one question that I get from multiple people at this point is, like, why am I doing this podcast? And, like... Normally, if you're a musician, you get a band together and then you play some shows. Then you record, you know, you woodshed in your practice space and you record something and do more shows. And But this is a lot different from from that kind of course. So why am I doing this? Why are you doing this? Um, well, see, I, the weird thing about me as a musician is that I... I kind of dread live performances <laughs> like it's like I like working on music and I like recording it but like going and performing it several times you know all like you know just basically everything that comes with being in a band I, I hated it like I remember being you know part way through a set or even a song and being like I don't want to do this anymore <laughs> Why are we performing live? like right on stage and do you, do you ever when you're playing a song, do you ever just start boring the shit out of yourself? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm so bored of what I'm doing right now. Yeah. I'm boring myself, I but do, I got to do the rest of this song. I, exactly. And you're <laughs> sort of like, I don't even care about this. How can I expect any of these people in the audience to care about it? But, yeah. but, like, but when I'm by myself, you know, or with or just with people who are excited about the music, it feels really alive. And I, uh, and I feel like this captures that like every week because we're doing a new song generally with a new person a new drummer or something and we're just sort of like recording it and it's not right when we wrote it but it's right when we're arranging it and figuring it out and it's kind of this exciting like we're gonna do it and then when it's done it's in the can and we don't have to worry about it anymore and then we don't have to gig we don't do anything so I like all that and I really need to have music or some kind of project in my life and I'm really bad at having projects by myself. Like I really like having some kind of partner or partners with it. So like this seemed pretty perfect. And I like talking about this stuff. 
And, and a lot of times people in my life are tired of hearing about it. So <laughs> you can always just turn this off if you don't want to hear it. <laughs> so I'm the one I did approach Sean with this, the idea for this podcast. At first, well, it was before uh, I ran into Sean for, you know, the second time of, of knowing him. I had this batch of songs that I wanted to record and I didn't want to do another album. It just seems like there's so much work that goes and commitment that goes into putting out an album and like the, you get, you put it out and the return on that investment is so low compared to if you put, if you record one song, a couple songs and send it to your friends and then you, you know, you talk about it for a bit, uh, get some feedback or whatever. That's like a, a proportionate amount of feedback to the amount of effort and commitment that you put into a song. If you do an album, you kind of don't get shit back. <laughs> People yeah. say, I'll listen to it. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes they do. I mean, uh, you, your close friends and family, they, they'll, they'll listen to it and they'll be like, hey, man, that was good. And which is cool. Like, you can't really expect more than that. But the amount of effort that yeah, I you know. put into it, is, it's just shit. It's funny, when I was younger, I got, I would get really butthurt about that kind of stuff. Like, I'd put all this effort into it, and I'd be like, here it is. And people, like, I almost feel like when people, like, it, the opposite of love is like, apathy it's not hate <laughs> like yeah. i want them to say they hate it but like the apathy that most people have towards it um is is crazy and i remember talking to my ex-wife about it when we were still married is that like it was obvious she didn't like any of the music i was doing and she was like why what are you i'm being supportive of it and i was like yeah but when you hear a song that you love you, i see how you react to a song that you love and then i see how you react to every single song i've ever done so i know you don't i don't know you don't like it and it's just a little part of my heart was like broken because it was like important to me like and i really wanted other people to be really excited about it and that's what most of the bands i'm i'm in i i'm i'm excited about their music and they're relatively excited about my music and that's how it works out i mean every band i've been in we've it's kind of been like i mean that's what we're yeah. doing here too i mean it's like i i do really like your music yeah just all around we have a lot of fun with this and i thought you know rather than recording a bunch of c continuing on this cycle of putting a ton of effort into like a, an album and just getting i i can't expect more than what i get re get back from my friends and family that they listen to it at all is great they don't have to like it or anything but if they check it out that's great but still i feel like hey maybe i could do something where i'm just like I'm, I stay in someone's feed if they want me to be in their feed. Not constantly be like, hey, check this out. Hey, check this out. But no, here, here's a little place where you can subscribe to this section of my life, which is pretty much like my whole life. <laughs> I mean, I'm either being a dad or doing responsibilities or I'm doing this. But like if they, if they want to like and subscribe, then here it is. I, I, I don't have to constantly bug people about it i think it's like proportionate right to the amount of effort that goes into an episode compared to like a, you know anything that comes back to me yeah I, I, and, I, and i feel like with a podcast is something that kind of snowballs you know if we just keep on plugging away consistently doing it 
then we're bound to pick up more people and maybe have like a really good episode that actually not the, not necessarily goes viral, but like enough people talk about it. So, oh, you should listen to this podcast, listen to this podcast. And here's the episode that you listen to. <clears throat> and I feel like that feels more organic to me. It's like, we're just going to do what we do. And then if something happens, it happens. And that feels really good to me. <laughs> I like that. That's totally my, what, what do you call it? style <laughs> that is my style you, pardon my my I, I don't know I'm on on some like medication called <laughs> some NyQuil and yeah. so, but no that's exactly how I feel like things should happen ideally like there's no no knowing the right people or being at the right place at the right time or anything like that is you do the thing that you do and people catch mm-hmm. on or they don't yeah, because there's all these, like, uh, search engine optimization stuff and, and like, tricks to, like, try to get your podcast viewed where you, like, go on to, like, subreddits and then yeah. other, other podcasts and say, oh, if you like this, you should check out this. And you do all those things. And then you cross your fingers that, like, of the 100 people you're ticking off, 10 of them are like, oh, I'll check it out. And then of those 10 people, one person says, hey, you should check that, you know, and it's sort of like, I don't want to piss off that the 90% of people like I don't want people to say, oh, that blue and gray podcast. I see that everywhere. They're just such <laughs> sluts about it, you know, and I so I just I just I just want it to happen. And if it never happens in like a year from now, we still have like 15 subscribers or whatever. Yeah. That, that'll be OK with me, too. I would rather fail with integrity and succeed with you know some prostitution <laughs> yeah yeah i don't i want to pay for followers or there's like that whole the way that people act and like post and it's kind of you know that style of clickbaity mm-hmm. or the hip little jokes and whatnot i don't i don't want to do that shit uh that's not who i am you know? Yeah, because if you think if you think that through, throughout the history of like all things that get promoted or whatever, like we'll stick to like bands or something because this is closer to like a band. Like back in the day, bands just did what they did and they caught on, and then people looked at what they did and said okay, and then kind of turned it into a business where they were like, oh, you know, this band did all these things and that's how they became popular so that becomes the new standard of like and then instead of the next band just doing what they're doing and if they get popular they get popular it's not that way they have now they have like the fundamentals of what they do which is insincere completely from where a band in the 60s just sort of organically kind of rose and if they were good and people really liked them then they got famous and then people just started to make a formula out of that and i feel like that's what all this like clickbaity stuff is it's a formula that people are like this works and it's like but if everyone's doing that formula it's just so it doesn't feel real it's gross yeah it doesn't feel like when you go on youtube to see the top channels they're not necessarily the best stuff or even necessarily what the mo- what people like the most. They're just the ones that used all those methods to get where they are. And it's a little frustrating. You know, you know what it's kind of like is the uh, Peanuts. Do you remember the Great Pumpkin? Linus would go and pick the uh, every, every Halloween. 
he'd go to what he would th- he thought was the most sincere pumpkin patch, and then he'd <laughs> wait there、uh, for the great pumpkin to come. And if it was the you know most sincere pumpkin patch,、uh, the great pumpkin would you know rise out of the the patch. And I, I'm not I'm not sure what the lore is exactly, but I feel like that's what creative arts. Uh, success in the creative arts should be. It should be. You sit at. You find the most sincere thing that you can say or do or sing, paint, whatever, and then you sit by it and you just wait. And either the big, great pumpkin appears or it doesn't. <laughs> I like that. The great pumpkin of fame or fortune or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For Linus, it just never appeared, and everyone laughed at him. And I feel like that's what it's like to be an artist. Pretty much, I, I mean, my brother's a successful artist, and I and I talk to him about, you know, all all the stuff, bes- like besides being an artist, what he had to do, and it, and the other stuff was like submitting all the stuff to everywhere and kind of smoozing with people and convincing people to give him money, doing all this other stuff, and I was like, well, that that ten percent of all that work of like that's not you doing artwork. A lot of people just aren't willing to do it, and he was like, yep, and that's kind of what. Separates <laughs> successful artists from unsuccessful. It doesn't have to do with their artwork. Yeah. I mean, once you reach a certain level, the rest of it is how you sell yourself, basically. And he's like, and that's what like he because he's a teacher and the student. A lot of students were like unwilling to do all that kind of like icky, smoozy, like rubbing elbows, talking themselves up thing. And those were the ones that just kind of failed at doing it because they were so. Obsessed with their artwork, that they weren't willing to like do the business side of it. And my brother is a con man, basically, <laughs> you know, which is short for confidence man. So he's just very, very confident. And like you see him talk, and you're like, I remember before my, I,、uh, I think it was my, oh yeah, it was my ex-wife again. I'm bringing up my ex-wife all the time. She, when she first met him, she like was like in love with him. He's just so well spoken, and he's done stuff, and he's so intelligent, fascinating. And then after she got to know him, she was like, "He's kind of a psychopath, though." <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, and like, and it's kind of true it, in in a way. And maybe all the people in my family are kind of that way, where we have this immediate kind of charm of some way, and then when you get to know us, you're like, "Oh, you're dead inside." <laughs>、um, But it's funny, like so, like to him, to him, that ten percent, like the ninety percent of the time he was honing his artwork. Once he became a professional artist, it switched to that ten percent. The rest of his career was like making people want him. And there's a certain degree of esoter- <coughs> esotericism that you go, you put into that, where you you want wealthy people to look at your stuff and say, "Oh, I get it." No one else does, but I get it. So I want it. I want to be on the inside of that, you know. So so all the other people can look at it and they don't get it, but I do. It's special. So you kind of play up this kind of esoteric quality to your work,、um, and it and it just to me all of that seems like you said it, disingenuous and, and not honest. But for my brother, he's like, well, do you want to be successful or, or do you not? And I'm like, well, no, I want to be successful and. Have my integrity and know that I'm being honest and I'm not conning people into things. I'm I'm not making people like something that they normally wouldn't like. I want them to just like it, you know. Yeah. I just let it be out there, but 
speaking of selling your selling your art, selling your songs, uh, Sean, we have a song by you this time. Uh, it's called Kings, Queens, and Idols, right? Yeah, Kings, Queen, Queens, and Idols. You're going to hear me sing for the first time. All right, so here it is. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Bank or dunk.
song. All right, so that was Kings, Queens, and Idols. When did you write that song? I want to say I wrote that song somewhere around 2001 or 2002. I was in college. I just gotten out of a real messy relationship where I was living with her and was sort of like couch surfing until I could find another place to live and moved into this house and I was completely alone in this house all summer. It was the summer before my senior year of college. And I, that's when I started drinking really, like really <laughs> bad, really, really bad. And like, I just had this thought, the re, like I, I knew I needed to stop drinking, but I wanted someone to like, tell me to stop drinking, right? And I, there was like, and this kind of went on for the next few years where a lot of my, my writing, my poetry and everything was kind of this idea that I needed a savior. And then I would stop. I know that's not true now. <laughs> no one can make you stop. But in the song, I kind of, that's what the first verse, you know, is, is about, you know, save me from my drinking and also kind of broaching the topic of like having, like the girl that I had dated was really, you know, thought she was like a princess, you know, and, and like had all these she was going to go be an artist and do all these, like she had all these huge ideas and I kind of did too. And I realized, and I think once I kind of had that fall from grace and started drinking, everything fell apart. I realized that like, as great as it is to have say like a supportive mother, like I did who, you know, Oh, you could be good at anything you did, you know? And like you, you'll, you'll, you can be whatever you want, you know, and kind of filling your head with these ideologies where you're like, you, you can do whatever you want. Like you are, you have, the world is your oyster <laughs> and uh, and that you could just take it right and that and and i had that feeling and i think that slowly when things just weren't going my way like i had i had a good two years which arguably i might have been like a manic episode i'm not really sure but it was a long time everything was coming up sean you know it was like everything and then when it ended it just was like everything went wrong you know I lost lost a job lost my girlfriend lost the place to live lost ended up dropping out of school like just like everything fell apart like not like it was like everything turned on me and then that's when I started realizing that all these like lofty ideas that I had for myself were just stupid things that that you know like in the song said like they just you know, I was brought, like, I think the lyrics says, I was brought up to think that I could be the best picture I painted of me. And that tore out my insides and filled them up with ideologies. And that's like the crux of the song is like, it's filled me up to think that I could be a king or an idol of some way and like a superstar. And even, and then the next verse is about, you know, breaking up with that girl, you know, and just sort of going off on my own I mean part of it was about my parents too and like my parents had were notorious for kicking kids out, out of the house they, they kicked my sister out at some point and when she was like 19 so like I was just imagining them getting fed up with my, me drinking once I moved back home and kicking me out and... 2001 that was, that was around the same time that I lost my shit <laughs> for the first time in my life and then you know I went into the hospital for a couple of weeks. What was that? 
that one guy that we met outside Jackson then called it brain jail. Brain jail. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I like that term. Brain jail? Yeah, was so, that what it called? Yeah, it? I, I got committed to brain jail <laughs> for a couple of weeks. But yeah, there's that moment where you realize in your life, oh shit, I'm not uh, what I thought I was going to be. I'm kind of like this just mess of a thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm a fucking wreck. And you, you can, and then that's when you have your breakdown and downward spiral. Come to think of it, though, I, I hadn't written my own songs until like a few years later. So now we're about the same age, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about that, I'm like, oh, wow, that's such a long time ago. But the songwriting seems very... It's almost 20 years ago. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it, 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 I think it's well done. I mean, well, the. Because I, I have uh, trouble writing songs that incorporate, you know, interesting elements that were in that song well, at this I, point in time. So. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. There's a misleading part of it is that I. So when I first wrote it, it was a, a three chord song, and it was in a major key. I played it in a band called The Village Green, and it was the guy decided it needed a reggae upbeat. Okay. So it was, and I was playing bass in the band and singing, which I'm not very good at. So so I am playing bass, and he's just doing, like, upbeats. But they're like, oh, it's all major chords. And, uh, and I, but I sang it exactly the same way, you know? So, like... So it was like a major song, so it was like kind of weird that this, the the lyrics were so dark, and the song itself felt like this is this reggae song, uh, and I always hated it that way. Like I was like, all right, well, I'm only one part of this band, so, and then I kind of like took the song because I really I did want to have there to be this irony of like happy chords, fucked up lyrics, um, and then I think after that. I wanted to play it with another when I started another band a few years later and I took it and I arranged it close to how it, we played it. I, I swapped out some minor chords and a few things, but like... Sorry. That's <laughs> all right. We'll, we'll I, should, get the, I should not have that bottle of sucked, Diet Coke right there. Sucked down some <laughs> Diet Coke while <laughs> during the interview. Um, so anyway... <laughs> Hold on, I gotta get some of this coronavirus out yeah. too. Uh. <coughs> okay. You sure? Yeah. Um, so so okay, anyway, yeah. I, I redid it and I rearranged it into what I really thought it probably makes more sense in. But then the arrangement even changed a, l- a little bit with, with Yejun's guitar playing, um, which is not the guitar, is nothing like the guitar I had. I had really just strumming strumming the chords and I I don't know what I was going to play for bass but since I had to sing I just sort of like pounded out the you know root and octave kind of typical Pink Floyd like bass line also there's a guitar solo on there that at this point in time has not been recorded yet so uh, (laughs) we don't know what the song will sound like and there may or may not be harmonies yeah Yeah. so yeah Oh, yeah, I'll have to put those down if I can manage it with my, my Coronas. 
Well, we'll, we'll see. We're, t- we're talking about like you haven't just heard it. So, I mean, but you guys have heard it. So either yeah. either there were harmonies and a guitar solo or, they, <laughs> or there weren't. So um, anyway, I really was uh, uh, resident to, to put this out because I get really self-conscious about uh, particularly my singing voice because I, I, I know it's not bad. Like once once I kind of step away from it and listen to it, I'm like, oh, it's not as bad as I think it is. But it's just, it sounds so much different than it does in in, in my head. That it's kind of yeah, it's kind of I, shocking. <laughs> I I think so much of singing is just a, more about self acceptance than trying to mold your voice into what you want it to sound like or how you envision it to sound like. Just accepting. All right, that's that's what I got. Yeah, I I used to have arguments with my brother is that he he'd always think that singers like develop a sound and not saying that they don't, but generally it's what they're comfortable with and kind of just what their voice does when they sing and then they just kind of hone it into into something like if I wanted to sound like Tom Waits, I couldn't sound like Tom Waits. But Tom Waits can't not sound like Tom Waits, you know? Like, so it's not like he is like deliberately singing that way. It's that's just like what's comfortable with his voice. And yes, he's making choices in that, but like the timbre of his voice is not that much of a of a decision on his part. Yeah, he can go a little more growly sometimes and all that, but like I, I remember for the longest time I wanted my voice to sound like Tim Kasher of Cursive. And eventually I realized, no, like, I just have a high voice. There's no getting around that. And then just the sooner that I accepted it and starting writing to it, I I don't think my songs got better per se, but life was just easier after that. I, I agree. I, I totally was, would either try to sound like someone or try to, be complicated you know with things and it just it was just so I mean that's probably why I hated singing and performing is that I was writing stuff outside my comfort zone constantly instead of just sort of like you know getting over my ego and just saying okay I'm just gonna play this this is easier and it's not exactly what I want but it's within my wheelhouse what's a wheelhouse <laughs> <laughs> What I want to do on one of these one of these shows, or maybe start doing it, is like any time there's a uh, there's a, a word or a phrase or some kind of um, idiom or something like that that is being used, we'll make a little ping noise after it, and if you stay after the end theme, we'll have little footnotes. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> that talk about each little idiom and phrase and talk about its etymology. Let's do that. We'll do that. I'll do that. Maybe I'll, not I'll this. I'll do that ed- in the edit. Oh, maybe. No? Well, we could do it. Could, yeah, we could totally do it. Yeah. So. I like that idea. Uh, on that note, I think uh, we can, you know, sign off, right? Yep. And then we'll have the footnote. Okay. Hour <laughs> after the. Theme. Yeah, stick around after the end theme for footnotes. <laughs> wheelhouse. An enclosed compartment on the deck of a vessel such as a fishing boat, 